On today's episode of Colorado Water Talk, we will take a close look at the public safety of dams in Colorado and what the state does to ensure safety measures are in place. I'm Sarah Leonard, joined as always by my two co-hosts. I'm Eric Sky, And I'm Ben Wade. And today we have two guests joining us, Chief Engineer of the Colorado Dam Safety Branch, John Hunati, followed by our colleague, Matt Stearns, who manages financing for CWCB's Water Projects Loan Program. John and Matt, welcome to the show. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, same here. Great to talk with you guys. Yeah, thanks, guys. So looking at some of the Colorado Dam Safety resources online, uh, we did notice that there were some notes or corrections about fact versus fiction when it comes to dam safety. So I think that's probably the best place to start here. Uh, and we'll want to highlight a couple of those. So, John, I'll kick it off to you. Who is responsible for dams in Colorado and then just across the U.S.? Uh, great question, Ben. I mean, as you indicated, fact versus fiction is kind of a, a good place to start in understanding dams and coming to kind of an education piece for common understanding. So responsibility across dams in Colorado and across the U.S. Um, so I've been with the state dam safety program for 13 years and been in, out in the field with owners of all varieties. So I've heard every question there could possibly have been, right? Um, no, the dam typically on your, on your small property wasn't built by the Army Corps of Engineers, right? So the, really what you look across this, the nation, um, it's a mostly privately owned dams, right? The, the largest dams in the country are typically owned by the federal facilities, Bureau of Reclamation, Army Corps of Engineers, and they have some large dams in the state of Colorado. And then within the state itself, you know, the, the largest majority are private dam owners. And when I say private, you know, these are guys that are feeding to municipal irrigation water sources and they do not necessarily are like a private entity it could be a big municipality that's public but we consider them a private entity so we work with those are the dam owners in the state of colorado um, so the owners have the development maintenance responsibilities for dams and then our program, the dam safety program for the state has the regulatory oversight of those privately owned dams. And then we have a partnership with the federally owned dams. John, thanks for that answer. Uh, let's, let's dive into the government oversight uh, for these private dams. Can you tell us what your role is uh, in this area? Yeah, no problem. Um, so technically, we lead a team of dam safety engineers, right? And we can all make the joke about dam engineers, and that I've also heard about a thousand times. And my wife actually quit making the joke. It's not funny anymore. But so what we do is oversee the safety of dams in the state of Colorado. And our primary mission in that is to protect the public from the failure of the dam, right? These big facilities um, have, you know, big reservoir stores a lot of water and create, creates a potential energy that if that dam were to fail, massive damage can be and loss of life can happen downstream. So that's what we consider consequences, right? So our goal as dam safety engineers and our dam safety program is to work with owners to stay ahead of that happening, right? So uh, we do that through inspections, design review, and partnerships with owners to uh, prevent 
those failures from occurring. Um, so our biggest way of doing that in a regulatory fashion is that during the inspection or design review or uh, engineering analysis processes that we have, we have the statutory authority to set what we call the safe storage level behind a dam, right? And so that means that if we do identify an issue on a dam that gives us concern or does present an increased likelihood of potential failure, we can set lower that load or that water level that acts against the structure. So by doing that, we can you know temporarily set the safe storage level to a, to a safe condition and then work with the owner to repair and develop the means to get it back up to a full safe storage condition. Perfect. Let's let's talk about uh, just kind of the lifetime of a dam. Uh, you mentioned maintenance. You mentioned uh, all the infrastructure that goes in there. Um, I mean, so how often do these, when you're working with these private owners, um, how often does maintenance occur? And then how often do they need to make these infrastructure changes? And uh, how is that determined? Sure. Another good question. I mean, I may kind of step back into some kind of like facts, um, just giving us a, a picture of, well, how many dams are there in Colorado, right? And then, then kind of step into your question. So in total, we have this idea of what we call jurisdictional dams, meaning these are dams that we have oversight and authority of in our program. So we have over 4,000 jurisdictional dams in the state of Colorado. Um, and we may talk about this a little more later, but we define those based on their potential hazard to the downstream public, meaning that bucket of water that that dam holds back in place, what happens if it fails, right? And so if, if a dam were to fail and route its way in the downstream channel, if, if there's a potential for a loss of life, we call it a high hazard dam. Now, this potential doesn't have anything to do with the condition of, the of that dam. It just talks about what happens if it were. So those are what we call, we have 450 high hazard dams. Moving down the line, we have next what we call significant hazard dams. Same thing, if that bucket were to fail and route downstream, regardless of condition, um, we may take out major infrastructure, roadways, bridges, um, and other things like that that we would consider significant damage downstream. Then we step in, and so of those, we have about 300 or so of the significant hazard dams. And then we have finally going down the line, we have what we consider low hazard dams, meaning if it were to fail, it may go across you know, someone's property, uh, maybe lay over an old barbed wire fence, something like that, what we consider low hazard damage potential. And so thinking through that inventory, right, First of all, why do these dams exist, right? Colorado's population is booming, as everybody here knows. But at some point, these dams were built by a reason and developed by some of these private owners. And thinking through that is like, well, why did they want it? Is it municipal water supply, agriculture, whatnot? So that and communities have built up around that, right? So the oldest dam and our high, oldest high hazard dam that we work on it was originally constructed in 1863, okay? The, the newest dam that we're actively constructing like is going on today um, up in um, Northern Colorado. So there's a range. And so our average range 
of age dates of the high hazard dams is actually 1945. So I'm giving you these kind of like range of um, number of dams, ages of dams to zero back in on your question about maintenance, right? And so part of our way in the dam safety branch here that I lead is to say, how do we prioritize our efforts to reduce that potential consequences to the downstream public? So we focus our energy on those high and significant hazard dams, right? We have stricter design requirements for high hazard dams. And, uh, and additionally, we inspect high hazard dams more frequently. So that frequent um, frequency of inspections kind of helps drive this idea of maintenance, right? So as we can assess, get out there and understand how is the dam performing, and we can see and provide that owner the recommendations of what we think should be maintained before it becomes a problem, right? You think about a dam. I mean, we have big concrete dams. We have massive earthen dams. And there's a whole variety of everything in between. Um, you know, it isn't necessarily the, the soil of a dam is just going to waste away due to age, right? But there's the infrastructure within the dam, you know, the outlet pipes, the valves, the gates that take all that water and supply it downstream for whatever its intended use is. Those are some of the areas that as age increases, those are the areas that may first need repair or maintenance or rehab on a dam um, in, in the first place. Um, so working with owners during our inspection process, we'll probably talk about it a little more later, but we also have kind of a, what I would call a potential failure modes analysis, right? Engineers like to sound all um, smart. And this is one of our methods to say, what are the potential ways a dam can fail at, at that specific site? And we work with owners to step through what those look like, what those seepage pathways look like. Can that seepage carry the embankment soil particles with it? and use that as another way to assess how much how much risk is there is this something we need to get ahead of and and push towards a project i think uh two things here one uh potentially the joke dam engineer may date back to 1863 at least here in colorado but uh but seriously i think I don't think the average colorado probably doesn't realize how big this issue and how obviously important job this is um, so let's, let's fast forward. You said there, there's a, a new dam being constructed in, in Northern Colorado. Um, can you talk about the process of determining the feasibility of a new dam? Um, how, and when does a state decide that a new dam would be a good idea? Sure. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's a, a good point, right? I mean, even for, ex before I step into the new dam for a second to, to hit on your point, I mean, we have. And we understand and we can model where dam failures go downstream, right, um, with some assumptions. And so we know that below the existing dams in Colorado, not even the new ones, but we know from our mapping and census data that there's like 36% of the Colorado's population live within inundation zones of dams. So that, uh, that's approaching like two plus million people that live below dams. Um, so kind of speaks to your point of we do take this pretty seriously and feel it is important. And so conversely, right, we live in Colorado. 
it's somewhat of a high desert state, right? And you know, these these water bodies are a necessary thing for us to provide water to the growing community and the ag and all the things that we have. So how do you determine, I mean, I think there's a little couple things at play, but from speaking strictly from the state dam safety branch's perspective, we are a regulator. So the idea behind that is that we do not determine the need or the, the use of a dam. From our perspective, right, we work in, in partnership with the owner that are looking to develop those structures. For example, the one up in Northern Colorado, I mean, the, the, the project manager has been working on that project for his entire career, 25 plus years with that owner to plan, permit, design and break ground on this dam, right? And so through that, we've been at lock, stop, and stock and barrel with him over the last eight years through the design effort. And so they've they've developed that need for their community and for what makes sense for them. That's where we step in is, well, what is what you're proposing to build? Is it safe, right? Does it meet the standards of our rules, our requirements? And will it meet those minimize the potential risk to the downstream public? I'm throwing out a lot of terms and all that right now. Hazard is the potential to what can happen downstream. Consequences are the, the, the who would be affected downstream. And then there's risk, right? Risk is a is kind of a big fancy term that the dam industry is trying to work towards a little more where we can evaluate What's the likelihood of a dam failing against what are those consequences if it does? So that's a little, ties it all together is the goal of dam safety risk for us. So that's a term I'll probably use a lot today, but just wanted to explain that. So John, we have heard a lot in the news recently about high hazard dams, which are defined as being especially dangerous to people if not operated with proper oversight. Um, can you again just kind of clarify for the audience what this would mean to an average everyday citizen who would read these news stories and maybe, you know, help kind of water down some of those fears, no pun intended. Sure. Thanks, Ben. Um, I think this is a great opportunity to kind of provide this education piece. There has been in the media, these deep dives into dam safety programs nationwide and to get a better understanding of how they're managed Who's, who has responsibility and, and how is the downstream public at risk? Um, I think the thing that I would probably want to start with highlighting is that our program, you know, while we recognize that there's a high hazard is a, is a classification for us, it doesn't necessarily mean that it presents the condition of the, of the dam, right? And so that's what I want to get across. High hazard just presents the potential versus us setting up a evaluation of the condition drives how we interact with an owner. So during our inspections, during our engineering analysis, we can come up with what we call a condition assessment for a given dam. And that condition assessment for us can vary from satisfactory to conditionally satisfactory to unsatisfactory. And once we have a reason that we check a dam is unsatisfactory, that's the point where we would set a storage restriction to get us to what we consider that safe storage level that I mentioned earlier. 
And the thing with the, how we use that as a tool is to work with the owner to minimize that, that load again against the dam structure that could cause this issue that we were worried about. And so by using that as our tool, then we can set that on the path for the owner of how do they um, repair that issue on the dam and get their structure back to the full storage capacity to meet their constituents and stakeholders needs, right? And so the way that we're able to do that is we direct that owner with a pretty clear understanding of what we need to see fixed. They work with engineers and designers and we do the design review to get those dams back up to snuff. And then um, in the meantime, they are out looking for sources of funding to get those projects completed. The other thing that we do at that time, and, and at all times, but it's highlighted then is we have a increased emergency planning, wherein we have make sure our inundation mappings are up to speed, our plans and emergency response plans to coordinate with downstream emergency managers, sheriff's office, um, and others that can help get the folks out of the way if there ever were to be an issue. Now, the one thing I guess I haven't really talked about for our team and, and just dam safety industry in general is, you know, we all go to school, learn a lot about soil mechanics and hydrology and hydraulics to understand dams and, and keep them in a safe condition. But at the same time, lessons learned are happening because there have been incidents and failures on dams around the country extending up into 2020. And so we try to take those lessons learned from those other areas and apply them to how we um, assess those safe conditions on our dams. And um, being able to do that, we feel it does the best that we can to stay ahead of potential problems and hope to do, achieve our primary mission of keeping the downstream public safe. John, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. And just so our listeners have a better understanding of all the state players involved in dam safety in Colorado, it's a program that's managed by the Division of Water Resources, which is an agency within the Department of Natural Resources. And the Colorado Water Conservation Board, also housed within DNR, has some involvement with dam safety. And that's why we have Matt Stearns with us today with the finance section. So Matt, before we start off with the dam safety, can you tell us what you do with the finance section? Yeah, thanks, Eric. Um, so obviously, being in the finance section, I work on the money side. Um, I'm an engineer by training, but this job also allows me to, to play a banker. In reality, it's, it's a combination of the two working together. Um, and so it's this is a job that I feel lucky to, to be able to do. So the lion's share of my work is to help water right owners to apply to our loan program. But I also get to do a couple of other cool things like oversee the storage and supply bucket of the water plan grant program and work with the Bureau of Reclamation to spend hydropower revenue in Colorado on, on dams that are owned by the Bureau, uh, but operated and maintained by Colorado water users. I'm most proud of my work with the loan program, though, so I'd like to give some background on that. Um, that program allows us to make low interest rate loans generally between one and two and a half percent to water right owners around the state for water projects. Uh, those are untreated water projects, so it's not drinking water, uh, but it does include things like ditches and canals, um, 
dams and reservoirs on today's topic, even hydropower plants and water right purchases, though. Um, and that loan program is a, a revolving loan program. So as we put money out, uh, it comes back to us in the form of, of annual payments. And so we're able to make new loans um, out of that. Um, we've been at this for a while now. We just celebrated 50 years of, of doing business. And because of that, we have a substantial pot of money each year for new loans. Um, that averages about $50 million a year. Um, but we certainly have the capability to do more uh, than that when we're, we're called upon. Uh, but there are some other great things that the money allows us to do. Um, many people don't know this, but it also goes to pay for what CWCB does as a whole. Things like salaries, keeping lights on, this podcast, even things like conservation and drought planning, flood protection, and revising and implementing the water plan to name just a few. So it's really an integral part of CWCB and provides the means for us to do all kinds of important work. Thanks, Matt. Now, since this particular episode isn't about the money itself, how exactly is CWCB involved with dam safety? I mean, you kind of touched on it, but could you go into more detail? Sure, Eric. So uh, first and most importantly, we can provide funding directly to dam motors in the in the form of loans in order to fix the the broken or dangerous stuff. And going back to what John mentioned about storage restrictions earlier, this really comes down to providing dam owners with the financial capability to remove or all out avoid those. And the fixes are, are just so expensive and only getting more so. So this is an extremely important resource for dam owners since many don't have hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars just sitting around. Um, and I'd like to just say that here in Colorado, these dams perform a really important function of retiming river flows um, from a feast and famine, or maybe more appropriately, a, a, a flood and drought situation to a more consistent flow throughout the year. And that benefits farmers, families, recreationalists, even environmentalists, um, since I don't see a, an environmental benefit to low or non-existent stream flows. And we've certainly seen that as a real potential over the last 20 years. Uh, and also along the same lines of direct funding for dams, if it's absolutely necessary to protect public safety, and I want to say that again, if it's absolutely necessary to protect public safety, we can provide funding to remove or what they call breach a dam. Obviously, that's an absolute worst case scenario, but we still have to be prepared in case a situation arises. Uh, the second way we, we interact with dam safety is providing help to improve their operations. Uh, as an example of this, several years ago, we provided grant funds uh, to them to digitize their old records. And this has really helped with access to the information for not only dam safety staff, uh, but the dam owners and operators as well. So just a, a wholesale improvement. And then third, I think another important one is by helping the state move from a standards-based to a, a risk-informed approach to dam safety. John touched on this a, a bit in his earlier response, but what that means is what are the real on-the-ground conditions that we need to worry about? How much water can a storm dump upstream of a reservoir? How much actually gets to the reservoir instead of getting caught up in the, the soil plants or, or beaver dams along the way? How can the dam fail? And most importantly, what's below it? Is it homes, roads, campsites? Um, we've had some really tragic situations around 
that here in Colorado and nationwide. And so making sure to account for things like this in decisions about a dam is an important factor in making sure that we're using money as efficiently and effectively as possible. And so each one of those questions I listed, we've provided grants to dam safety to, to better be able to understand and defend the answers. Thanks, Matt. And then Matt and John, before we let you guys go, is there anything else about Colorado's dams or dam safety that you two want our listeners to know about? So I could just go on one. Um, our most recent work with John and his staff um, is on these risk analyses. And from my perspective, it's an important side benefit of the work that we can find potential easy wins for additional storage um, at existing reservoirs. Uh, because I think we all recognize that new reservoirs are challenging to get approved and built. So the idea basically is that are there dams that we can safely, and this is most important, safely store more water at um, with minimal changes. And we're starting to see some potential big wins. For example, Bar Lake is now in the process of, of raising the water level by less than a foot, but that will result in an uh, approximately 1,500 acre foot increase of new storage. Um, that's the amount of water used over a full year by around 3,000 typical homes. Uh, it's just a tremendous return for raising the water level by so little. And so we're looking to continue identifying statewide opportunities like that to meet the goals identified in the water plan of a 400,000 acre feet of new storage by 2050. And really that's to meet the needs of the, the growing population of the state. And I might tag on to what Matt said there, you know, it's been great working with him through kind of developing this, what we're calling the potential reservoir enlargement slash risk assessment process and study, because we are able to use some of these tools and resources um, to better identify how does rain fall in the state of Colorado and how does that impact the safe design of dams? We've developed a more modern approach to that, that may, um, justifiably allow some of these easier ways to raise the water pool in an existing dam. But we're kind of we're using this project as a way to say act as like the gateway of if that's possible, right? And if that's possible, that you know there's a it's a yes and this can happen and it may be simple like at Bar Lake. Or it may be that we could raise even a little more within the existing spillway and put more load on the dam. But then we want to have a clear understanding of like what other issues are at the dam structurally that the owner should be looking for as part of this, you know, potential reservoir raise, but we're also testing a structure further. So we want to give them through this risk assessment piece, a clear understanding of like what they might need to really look at through a design effort to, to make that additional storage happen. Um, so it's a little bit of the chicken before the egg there, but it's a, it's a good teamwork and, and a good process to look for those opportunities um, that, that we can take advantage of. Awesome. Thank you both. And thank you guys so much for your time. We really appreciate having you guys on the show. And for those of you listening at home, whenever you take a look at a dam, know that these guys are out there making sure that it is safe. Thanks, Eric. And thank you, everybody else. John, thank you for your time. Yeah. Thanks, Eric, Ben, Sarah, Matt. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come in and say a little bit about dams. It means a lot. And I hope you guys have a good day. 
And if you want to learn more, check out episode 10, a damn good episode on recreation to learn more about a different kind of dam safety for low head dams. And this month's board meeting will take place on March 15th and 16th. It will be a hybrid event, live streamed as usual on YouTube, and our board members will meet in person in Denver. On February 28th, Governor Polis announced the appointment of Paul Bruchet to serve as CWCB's representative for the Colorado River Basin. He also reappointed Jackie Brown as the Yampa representative and Jessica Brody as the Denver Metro rep. If and when approved by the Colorado Senate, these terms will expire in 2025. And that's a wrap on episode 14 of Colorado Water Talk on dam safety. If you'd like to leave us some feedback or a comment, please do so on Twitter at CWCB underscore DNR or through our website podcast page. 